Hi, I'm the self-development coach, Johnny Lawrence, and welcome to the Self-Development Podcast. I think many times as human beings, we want an apology from the other person. We want the other person to make amends. We want the other person to take responsibility. And although it would be nice, we don't realize we're keeping ourselves stuck. And what I realize, and I think what's important to realize is to really get complete with someone is not about the other person. It's about your relationship with the other person within yourself. And you don't need another person to be any other way because if you're waiting for another person to be another way in order for you to forgive and be happy, you're just a slave. Hi, I'm the self-development coach, Johnny Lawrence, and welcome to the Self-Development Podcast. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Coot Blackson. Coot is an inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He's the author of the two best-selling books, You Are The One and The Magic of Surrender. He's widely considered the next generation leader in personal development as he offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness and a new, for a new generation. His unique Japanese and Ghanaian lineage lay the foundations for his approach to breaking down barriers and unlocking an individual's true gifts and greatness. For over 20 years, Coot has been inspiring audiences worldwide. His electrifying presentations offer real-world practical ideas and soul-serving wisdom and ignite the heart and inspire courageous action. His mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. Wow. And I, you know, I actually feel like you do all that. How are you? You're, are you okay today? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm sure you're a very busy man with a very busy day, but what's it looking like in Los Angeles today? It's a gorgeous day, man. The sun is shining. Uh, the sky is clear. It's good to be alive. Yeah, well, in England, we just like it when it's not raining. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, grew up, I grew up in London, so I know the feeling. I grew, oh, up, in South, okay. I grew up in South London. I grew up in Br uh, Brixton, Peckham, Thornton Heath. So uh, that wow. I, I, I know the weather. Oh, well. Well, real London. Wow. Well, maybe, maybe that's where we should start. I mean, for those, and I don't know who these people will be, but for those that may not have come across you yet or not familiar with your work, could you tell us a bit about yourself and sort of your journey so far and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up, grew up in London from the age, age of three to 18 and a half, 19. Um, as a young boy, uh, my, I was a very sensitive kid. I was a very empathetic kid. So I would feel people's pain and people suffering very deeply. There was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate suffering, alleviate pain. I didn't know what that would look like, but it was just an impulse. And so, um, as a young boy, I think one of the, the things that also impacted me was part of my upbringing. I think my upbringing was a bit unusual, although, um, I didn't think it was that different. Uh, as an example, my first memories as a young boy was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man, this was in Ghana, West Africa, when I go back and forth. Um, she picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing miracles. Blind people see, deaf people hear, people standing up out of wheelchairs. The same man who sent you picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up. And the, as an example, the woman would say, but I haven't walked in 15 years. And he would say, stand up, put his hands on them. They would stand up, a miracle. So I grew up seeing 
miracles literally every day, basically every day, every week. This man was my father and my father built 300 churches, uh, spiritual churches in Ghana, West Africa, had a huge church in London in the, in the 80s, which was probably his height, 80s, early 90s, uh, 5,000 people every Sunday in Wandsworth at the Wandsworth Town Hall. Then we moved to Brixton, then we moved to Peckham. And so 5,000 people coming to church every Sunday. And so this was my reality. I grew up with the sense that anything was possible. And I thought this was everybody's reality. I'd go to school thinking everyone was having this experience only to realize that it was a, it was a little unusual. And so when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. I was just thrown into the audience and that's when my speaking career began. And I started uh, speaking every, every month, every six weeks, every few months. My father would throw me into the audience and say, speak. Uh, and that began my kind of quest for knowledge and understanding as well. Um, age 14, I was ordained as a minister. Wow. And I was given, yeah, I was given the mandate to take over my father's spiritual organization. Um, and everybody was excited and thrilled. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people in Africa, like, about five to 10,000 members in London. Everybody was excited, but me, because when it was announced, um, unbeknownst to me, no conversation or discussion with me, when my father announced it, um, in my heart, my heart kind of sank because I knew that this was not my path. I knew that this was not my truth. I knew that this was not my destiny. It was just a feeling, but I was too afraid to speak my truth. I was, my, my fear was if I just spoke my truth to my father, then I would lose his love. I'd be outcast, outcast. I'd be alone. Uh, I'd be abandoned. And so I think like many of us, we allow fear to hijack our full expression. We allow fear to hijack our, you know, the giving of our gifts, living our purpose. And so I said nothing for four years, took me four years from 14 to 18 to really, uh, in a turmoil, confusion, conflict, depression, to really muster up the courage to have that conversation with my father and reclaim my life. Basically, I turned 18 and I was doing my A-levels and going through such an internal, uh, just, just, an internal conflict that was crazy. Like, I, cause I knew that this wasn't my path and I felt my soul calling me into a completely different direction. I felt my soul calling me to America. I felt my soul calling me to Los Angeles specifically because from the ages of eight to 18, I began to become, shall we say, obsessed with self-help books. Uh, I would sneak into my father's bookshelf and read so many of the books on his bookshelf. He had literally a thousand books on his bookshelf. Everyone from the Eastern mystics of like Osho and Krishnamurti and Maharishi Mahesh Yogi to the Western folks of like Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and Deepak wow. Chopra and Tony Robbins. So, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 years old, I'm devouring this, this, this information. And I wanted to come to the US because all of the authors I'd read about were talking about like Deepak Chopra and Tony Robbins and Louise Hay, Marianne Williamson. They all lived in Los Angeles or San Diego or Southern California. And so I felt my soul calling me in a direction, but it made no sense to my mind. And I think many times what your soul guides you to do, well, doesn't make sense to your logic. What your soul guides you to do isn't always convenient, but I'm a real believer that if you follow your soul, you will always be guided to the right place where you need to be. And you'll always end up in the, you know, in the right place with the right people, even though the route that you take may not make sense. Mm. And so 
When I was 18, I looked into my future so I could follow the expected path. And I realized I could be successful by following my father's version for my life. But if I didn't, and I projected age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60, and I felt such a pain, the pain of soul suicide, the pain of betraying my soul. And, and it was so painful that I thought, like, sure, if I'm successful by everyone else's standards, but if I don't have myself, like, what kind of success is that, you know? Oh, and, yeah. and so um, I decided to have the conversation with my father, which was very challenging, very difficult. I made peace with that. I would probably lose him and uh, decided nothing was worth my own freedom. And it was really hard, a lot of pain, a lot of grief, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of sadness. I was terrified. Mm. And uh, 18, I had that conversation. My father and I, we didn't speak for two years. It was very difficult. Mm. Kind of long story short, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery to bring me to Los Angeles. Uh, came with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket, showed up in LA, began my life, and went and found many of the mentors and authors and teachers I'd read about, studied with some of them for, for a few years, and then ended up traveling. Uh, the world in search of answers. I went to Thailand, studied with some monks, went to Israel, studied with some rabbis, uh, ended up uh, walking the Camino in northern Spain, 900 kilometer trek, and then ended up in India. And it was really my time in India that cracked me open to another dimension of reality, another dimension of my purpose. And it was as a result of that, that I came back to LA and started working with people one-on-one -on -one about 20 years ago no clue what I was doing, just a pure desire to, and this is before life coaching was popular and everyone was a life coach and it was before YouTube and Facebook. It, it, I just started working with people as a kid. I was a kid working with people one-on-one -on -one with a pure desire to inspire and transform and impact people. I felt such a sense of freedom coming back from India and I had no money and no name and no fame and not, nothing, but I felt free. And so I just wanted everyone to feel the freedom I felt. And one person showed up and then another person came and one by one, slowly, slowly, I created my own way of working with people. I called it uncoaching and people's lives really radically started transforming and people started coming from around the world. And it just kind of grew and evolved from one person to small groups, to larger groups, to seminars, to best-selling books and you know, here we are. So that's the short version. Well, wow. I mean, I, I'm not sure I've ever spoken to someone in a podcast that I resonate with more, especially the stuff around uh, your father. And I think it's, I think it's definitely something in, in men, um, uh -huh. certainly young black men. Uh -huh. um, they have usually have very challenging relationships with their fathers. Um, and mine was too. And I, I was subjected to a lot of violence as a child. Um, that's mm. very common in certain cultures, but I, I, I remember a moment of fear, a, a conversation much like you described with my father, where I went to him and I, and I went to ask him about the past and why he did the things he did and the impact it had on me. I didn't have any expectations. I just wanted him to know. And I remember having a conversation with him and him just really just skating over it and just saying like, you know, you know, you're overreacting. You sound like your mother or all these different sorts of things. And I had a moment of clarity in that, in, in that very moment of, this, this, there's a big problem between you and I, me and my father, but it isn't my problem. It's his problem. 
And I felt like in that moment, I was able to give that problem back to him. And I felt a sense of freedom from that conversation. We haven't spoken in, in, in well, over a decade. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that it, it can be really, really scary when you speak to a parent, um, especially if that parent's trying to guide you in a certain direction. So I think that's an incredible story. Um, yeah. And, you know, do you and your father speak now? If you don't yeah, we, we, we really, uh, I think, healed our relationship in many, many stages. You know, mm. I think the, f- the first level of healing was probably a few, af- a few years after I came to the US. Maybe I was 21, 22 at the time. Mm. Um, and in a nutshell, I got to the place of really, I was doing a lot of inner work and looking mm. at why my life wasn't working. And there was a pattern I felt of feeling like a victim and feeling like, you know, there was, I had to acknowledge that I was actually very, 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 very angry towards my father for not feeling supported, for not feeling loved, for not feeling accepted, for not feeling like here I am in America by myself. And he just kind of, you know, rejected me. And and Mm -hmm. so there was a deep psychological anger I had towards him and feeling like he owed me something you know, and, and, and felt feeling so alone and abandoned basically by him. And, you know, I was having a, I'll never forget the day I was sitting in my tiny apartment in Koreatown. It was a tiny like shoebox apartment and really having a pity party. And, you know, in many ways, quite righteous, righteous about it and validated. I mean, nothing I was saying was not inaccurate. Everything I was saying was quite accurate about him to a degree. But what I realized in that moment is it wasn't helping. It wasn't changing my reality. It wasn't setting me free. It wasn't helping me. And and in many ways, I was keeping myself stuck in my life, not moving forward because I was feeling so right about how wrong he was. And unconsciously, I think that just was blocking me in some way. And so I remember feeling this sense like it was like a voice. It was like the sense of like, look, nobody owes you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. Life doesn't owe you anything. You know, your, your father doesn't owe you anything. He's given you everything. And it was a moment of realization of how, let's say, entitled I was. And if I was going to shift my life, I was going to have to really give up any sense of blame and, and entitlement. And, and, and resentment and righteousness because it's not bringing more free, me more freedom. And so I ended up going to a seminar, a men's, a men's week retreat the week, uh, a few weekends later. Um, and in that seminar around men, the male energy, I really got, uh, I really was able to acknowledge and release the anger I had towards my father. And I think many times as human beings, we... We want an apology from the other person. We want the other person to make amends. We want the other person to take take responsibility. And although it would be nice, we don't realize we're keeping ourselves stuck. And what I realize, and I think what's important to realize is to really get complete with someone is not about the other person. It's about your relationship with the other person within yourself. And you Mm -hmm. don't need another person to be any other way because if you're waiting for another person to be another way, in order for you to forgive and be happy, you're just a slave and you're giving your power away. And so in that moment, I realized I'd been waiting for my father to apologize. I'd been waiting for my father to say, yes, son, I screwed up. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I didn't mean, 
And it was not happening because my father's African and he's old school and he's mm-hmm. the type of guy where it's my way or it's my way you choose. He's just too proud. And I was too proud. And so nothing was shifting. And so in that weekend, I realized, shit, I, regardless of what my father is and what he isn't, I love this man. And it doesn't matter what he does with that or not. I love him and I'm going to love him. And it just like, it cracked my heart open to feel the amount of love I have for him. And I just forgave him, you know, and in that forgiveness of him, because I also realized that based on his childhood and upbringing in Africa, without a father, without much love, without much affection, without many of the sort of caring and sensitivities that we have now, he couldn't help it. I mean, he's really literally doing the best he can based on the level of his upbringing and his consciousness and his conditioning. And so he, he, he actually can't help himself in this moment. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means he is what he is. And so when I was really able to set him free and forgive him, like, like, you know, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Like, he doesn't know what he's really doing. He is what he is. He didn't have a father. Yeah. That was such a level of freedom for me. And the forgiveness was a freedom for myself. And regardless of if he changed or didn't change, I set him free. Hmm. And there was such a peace. And this is how the relationship shifted. I, I would say literally, it's a, it's a while ago, so I'm forgetting exact days, but literally... Hmm probably within a week after not speaking to my father for years, it must've been about two, three years at this point, he calls me up out of the blue. He says, son, uh, I think we need to speak. I think we need to talk. Wow. And that began, I was shocked, you know, because hmm. I didn't tell him I forgave him, it, it forgave him nothing. It just, as I shifted, it shifted something. And he called me up and he said, I think we need to talk. And and I said, yeah, I think we do. And that began a slow journey of rebuilding a relationship, rebuilding a relationship. And now, uh, you know, that was like 20 years ago. And then we got to a pretty good place where I was at peace with my father, or so I thought, pretty at peace. But the whole nother level of relationship for me with my father shifted when my mother died. My mother died uh, about five years ago now. And I was very, very close to my mother. She, you know, she raised me. She was there. She bestowed unconditional love on me. And I expected my father to go first because he's quite a bit older, but she went first. And when my mother passed away, um, in my meditation, I spoke to my mother. And I said to my mother, like, mom, what, why, did you, why did you go first? Uh, I thought you'd be around. And it was as though I heard her voice saying, son, I, I left first to gift you the deepest healing with your father. Because if I was still there, you and I would be connected and I would be in the way. So I removed myself so that you and him were left together to to truly heal the karma and whatever was unresolved together. And from that moment, you know, I was at peace with my father, but from that moment, I realized there were still certain subtle layers of like, you know, resistance that I had towards him and you know he should have been this and he should have done that and in that moment literally when I got that realization I just dropped everything 
what I wanted him to be. What I, I like, my father never was not one to call me up that much, and I was like, well, I'm not going to call him either. It's relationship is, I love him, but it's two way, right? You got to mm-hmm. develop. I just dropped everything, and it went to a whole other level, man. Where I said, I freaking love my dad. I love him, and for the rest of my life, while he's alive, I'm going to love him profoundly. It doesn't even matter what he does. I'm going to call this man every day. I'm going to devote myself to loving him as my, as, as a God, you know, as a, as, as, as a spiritual path. I'm going to love his soul so that he feels so loved so that if he dies, I'm at peace. Mm-hmm. But also I want him to have the experience of being loved in the way he was never loved and in the way he wasn't able to love as a healing. It doesn't matter if he calls me. It doesn't matter if he responds. It does. I'm going to do it because that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm committed to doing. So I basically said to the day I die, I'm going to call my father every day. So every day I call my father. This has never happened. So every day I pick up the phone, call my dad. No great conversation. No expectation. Hey, dad, how are you doing? Are you eating? I love you. You know, hey, dad, how you doing? It's like a spiritual practice. And that also, man, healed. Because I, I just dropped any expectation. Like, any expert, I just dropped it completely. And that really began to heal something because I think he started to feel like, whoa, like no one's ever, nobody has ever done this for me. Hmm. And, and about a year into that relationship, it, it, it just, it, it, it sort of psychically unspoken in an unspoken way started healing the connection. And he started opening up and he started shifting and then he started calling and he started remembering my birthdays and, the level of healing and respect that happened from that gesture shifted everything. And so there's such a level of, of real, like, like deep love, you know, the kind of love I had for my mother is different, but such a level of deep love I have for him. So when I think of him now, there's not a twinge of uh, contraction. It's just like, wow, I love, I love his soul. And so, we've come a long way. And so anyone who's had issues with their parents, I just want to say it is possible. But for me, I had to put my own pride and ego aside and just commit to the pure loving and drop any expectation. Because when I had expectations and what I wanted from him, I wasn't able to receive what he was able to give me, which may not have been what I wanted, but I wasn't able to receive the little bit that he was able to give me. And I had nothing. And so when I dropped the expectation, it, it really didn't matter. It shifted everything. That is um, quite possibly one of the most incredible stories I've heard. That That's amazing. I mean, and it's cast a, a fresh light on my own stuff, actually. Um, so I'm very, very grateful for that on a personal level. Um, nice. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for sharing that with us. That was really, um, that was quite profound. <laughs> um, you were... Uh, you speak a lot about purpose and achieving greatness. There's something that, uh, you know, runs through a lot of what you do, I feel. Um, do you believe that everybody's capable of achieving greatness? See, I don't think, I, I would say it this way, everybody is already great. Right. We are already great. So we're not here to become great. If anything, we can't become what you already are. We're already great. It's not something you have to go out and achieve. Like if I do this, do this, do this, then I'd become great. We're great. Greatness is our being. Greatness is our nature. Greatness is what we are. We are born a manifestation of greatness. We are born a manifestation of this infinite beingness. Like what's not great about that? But if anything, we just kind of forgot 
that mm. were great. We forgot our true essence. You know, we've been conditioned. And so I think part of it is a process of remembering our true essence. Now, does that mean everybody is going to go out and become Michael Jordan? No. I think here is a myth in personal development. You can be whatever you want to be. Do whatever. Mm. Not everybody is going to be Elon Musk for yeah. several reasons. Not everyone's willing to put in the mental, psychological, emotional work to do what he's doing and make the sacrifices. And it's not everyone's highest soul's path and journey to, to be that, to be honest, because I think we all have unique lessons that we are here to learn in this life experience. And so I think... It's not about you can be whatever you want to be. I think it's about finding out what is most authentic, authentically true to what your soul is seeking to experience more than anything. And so we're all already great, but we forget what we are. And, and maybe I'll, I'll just kind of give an analogy. We're born free. You know, if you look at a child, a child is free. A child is magnificent. A child is in touch with their essence, you know, their, their true divinity, so to speak. They're pure light. Um, you look into a child's eyes, you see God looking at you, you see the infinite looking at you. And I think that's why we all kind of open when we look into a baby's eyes before they're conditioned, because we're reminded of what we were, our own greatness, so to speak, that maybe we lost touch with or we forgot about because life beats the crap out of us in some ways. And so yeah. we're born these free, whole, perfect beings. Then we meet our parents, you know, and they're just doing the best that they can do based on their childhood, their upbringing, society, their grandparents and all the experiences that we, they went through. So now we're born into a preset pattern of dysfunction, trauma, you know, generational patterns and conditioning. And maybe dad's crazy. Maybe mom's an alcoholic. Maybe they're fighting all the time. So there's all of this stuff around. And so now we have to deal with that. And maybe they're great people, but they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. So the first thing that happens is as young children, because we're sensitive, we learn to shut down, disconnect, not feel, suppress those feelings, suppress those feelings, suppress those feelings before you know it, 20 years ago, by 18 years go by. And now our true light, our true magnificence, our true potential, our true power, our true capacity to love, our true greatness is kind of buried underneath the layers and layers and layers of unfelt pain, anger, hurt, resentment, sadness that's been suppressed underneath, right? And so we're now not in touch with our true self. We're not in touch with the greatness that that is what we are. We've kind of forgotten what we are because now we're hidden underneath the mountains of unfelt emotions and feelings, right? And then we learn to kind of hold on and develop mechanisms and walls to survive and protect ourselves from feeling the pain. And we hold on to that as a way to not get hurt again. And so now we're not often our true greatness isn't able to fully express itself because we're holding on to all these defense mechanisms we've learned to not like feel the pain of dad and mom and alcoholism and with you know, violence and you know abandonment and rejection and bullying at school. And so we are great, but it, it's kind of like it, the greatness often doesn't get out. And I think that's why many of us, we intuit our greatness. We look at, we watch documentaries on Kobe and, you know, Pele and and Federer and 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 you know Mike Tyson, all these great ones, because we, we we're intuiting our own greatness. There's there's an impulse towards being that 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 sometimes doesn't get out underneath the layers of conditioning. Then we learn a way of being. 
because we get conditioned. We learn a way of being, the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love and validation and approval. You know, for me, as a young boy, I learned I needed to be like the nice boy, the nice kid. Yeah, my dad's a freaking preacher. He's a saint. My dad is like a spiritual miracle man. So, you know, as that, even if it was unspoken, I learned I needed to be the responsible one, ordained at 14, take care of the nice one, the responsible one, the perfect son, always be happy all the time, take care of everybody, over-responsible. And so there's all these... Basically, as human beings, we learn to develop a role, a mask, a persona, an identity of who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval. We contort ourselves into the shape in order to get that love, validation, approval, and to avoid pain. We hold so tightly to this way of being, right? And then we become Coop. We become Johnny. We become Susie. And, and, and we hold so tightly to that way of being that we actually believe and think that the version of ourselves that we've been conditioned to be is who we really are. And then we say, it's just me. This is just the way I am. Not realizing that we're freaking conditioned. We are conditioned and the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. And the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which our true innate power and our true innate greatness doesn't express. And so first we have to just kind of become conscious to the fact that we've been conditioned and maybe who we are is not who we really are. It's just about what we've been conditioned to be. And then we have to just start becoming aware of the conditioning. Then we have to be willing, right. To, to, to go through a process, work with a coach or go, you know, do some therapeutic work to kind of, un to become conscious and to start unraveling the patterns and layers of our conditioning that have been programmed into us that we've been holding so tightly onto. And so I think we're all great. It's what we are. It's just the layers of conditioning that often don't allow us to unfold that and express that. The other thing I'll say is we are souls. We incarnate into this human experience in order to learn to grow and evolve. We're souls. We're not just this physical body. Mm -hmm. So as souls, we incarnate because there's lessons we're here to learn. So the way I see it, life is really a university. Life is really an evolutionary uh, opportunity to grow, to learn, to evolve. Every situation, every experience, every, every relationship, every up, every down, everything we go through is part of the evolutionary learning opportunity to, realize, to learn lessons and to realize our true potential, to realize who we truly are, to return to our real greatness. You know, and we kind of forget and sometimes we get caught up in life. And so with that said, kind of return to, I don't think everybody can be anything like I don't care how great I am. I'm not going to be Lewis Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> That's just, it's just fat. I'm not wired with that. I don't care how great I am. I'm not going to be Shaquille O'Neal or Kobe mm -hmm. Bryant. And I think everyone has their own unique genius that we have to tap into and feel into and fulfill that our own unique, the, the, our own unique expression of how greatness is seeking to manifest through us in our own unique way, rather than trying to be great in someone else's terms, mm -hmm. rather than trying to copy someone else's version of greatness, but to really open ourselves to the unique way, I should say this way, the unique way that life, that God, that the universe, whatever you believe, 
is seeking to manifest its greatness through us. Then we're living in alignment versus I'm trying to be Johnny and Johnny's trying to be Susie and Susie's trying to be Shaquille O'Neal. It's like, no, Johnny's trying to be Johnny and that's his own unique greatness. Who's being cool? That's, that's, that's his own unique greatness, but this is opening to the, the opening to the unique way life is seeking to express its greatness through us. And that's, I think when we're truly on purpose and that's when we're truly aligned and that's when we're truly, you know, in integrity, that's when we're in the flow. I mean, I could say more about purpose and stuff, but I'll leave it there. Wow. I'm starting to the learning tree today. That was, uh, that was such a great perspective. You're right. It's like there was, I've always butchered it, but there's this, this quote about uh, always feeling stupid if you're a fish trying to climb a tree, you know? Yeah. Something, something like that anyway, but it's about being out of the, you know, you know, being Mm. a fish, being in a tree, trying to climb a tree that, well, that's not going to work, is it? You know, because it's not equipped for that. So it it did make me think a little bit of that, but um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. We're already great. We are already great. It's our nature. Mm. You can't become what you are. If anything, we're here to remove the blockages, you know, and the illusions from seeing what we already are all Mm. along. You know. I often find when I'm working with people, they'll have this thing that they would like to be different. Um, and it's something that's unhelpful in their life. And um, when we start to raise awareness of it, or we start to challenge it, or we start to look at how we could change it or whatever else, I often find that people aggressively almost defend it, even though they don't want it. And it speaks yes, to what yes. you just speaks to what you just said there, that it's like, it, there, there's an anxiety there's a fear as we spoke about earlier that comes with um like having to change or that you know the, 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 the awareness of infinite possibilities almost and it's like the reason, that's terrifying yeah. it's te- it's funny because i think you hit a very important point because we so want to change but then we don't mm. and 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 partly if people can understand what that is it can change everything Mm. Uh, and, and because here's the deal, like understanding the nature of something can change your relationship with it. Right. Yeah. And so part of why that is and why we resist the mechanism that resists transformation or letting go of what we know we need to let go of or stepping into our greatness and what's good for us. That mechanism that resists is ego. It's the ego. So right. ego is what resists. Now, Many times people go, oh, if ego is what it is, I got to get rid of ego, got to annihilate ego, got to kill ego, ego is bad. And I say ego is not good or bad, but you have to realize what it is that is resisting. Mm. Ego is our perceived sense of what we believe ourselves to be from the layers of conditioning, the ways of conditioning, which we talked about, to kind of mention how it was created a moment ago in terms of the conditioning process. The job of the ego is to reinforce its existence. And the job of the ego is to prevent you from getting hurt like you were hurt when you were five. And so it's like, shit, dad's beating me. Mom's abandoned me. You know, my needs aren't being met. This is too painful. Shut down, disconnect, not feel. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to do what have you as a way to not feel that pain. So now we've developed all these strategies and mechanisms to like never feel that pain again. Mm. The intention is good. The survival mechanism is good and it worked for us when we were five, but now it doesn't work for us when we're 25 and 35 and 45 in a relationship and trying to expand. And so we have to realize that ego is is not a thing. Ego is a process. 
Ego is a process of identification. It's a process of holding on. And the degree to which we hold on to ourselves, thoughts, beliefs, strategies, mechanisms, survival tactics, the degree to which we hold on, that's ego. And now we've been conditioned to believe that that mechanism is me. It's what I am. And so, and then society reinforces that, right? Religion reinforces that. Media reinforces that. Everything. And then now we get that reinforced by life because now we become successful being independent, successful being cold, successful being over-analytical. And it worked for us. And so now that way of being is getting reinforced. And so now we're more in ego. So to question that, to change that, to move beyond that, is terrifying to our perceived sense of self, ego, because for the ego, it feels like a death. And so that's why our perceived sense of self to reinforce his existence and to prevent us from getting hurt, it's like, shit, if I actually let go and expand, open my heart and love, and open my heart and love, which I learned to close my heart and, and protect my heart to not get hurt, because when I love my mom or dad, it hurt. So now I've fallen in love with this woman and my heart is opening. Let me close my heart again. And so to actually open beyond what we're used to or question ourselves or change is terrifying for the ego because it feels like we could get hurt and it feels like a death. And that's why we vehemently resist, even resist our greatness, even resist our magnificence. Because at least if I'm here playing small, at least I know what I am. And at least I know the level of sort of safety that I have living in a small realm of a level two. But to expand to a level 10, it's like, oh, shit, I want that. But who will I be and what will I have to let go? I'm going to have to let go of these beliefs, these ways of thinking. That's scary. And that's often where we unconsciously sabotage going to that next level because going to the next level requires letting go of who we were, letting go of who we were. is terrifying and feels like a death, but it's not. So when we can understand that we are not the ego. The ego is a set of patterns and programs that have just been conditioned from childhood, but it's not what we are. Then you can start shifting your relationship with yourself to realize, oh, that, that's not me. What I am mm. is, is, is actually, not, I'm not those patterns. I'm not those emotions. I'm not those feelings. And when we understand the purpose of the resistance, the purpose of the sabotage, the purpose of the I'm not changing the purpose of the terror rather than judging ourselves. Because many times we read these self-help books, right? Mine included. And we go, got to be fearless. Got to crack it. Got to go to the next level. Got to just push through it. Got to, you know, and then we start judging ourselves for having that fear. And then we start trying to push ourselves to that next level beyond that fear rather than acknowledging this fear is just ego and the ego has a beautiful intention. And, and the real way to move through is not to force ourselves through necessarily, but it's to meet ourselves with complete acceptance and to hold ego, which is not really real, but to hold it with love and compassion, mm. non-resistance. And when we can just hold resistance, that part of ourselves was just like, I see you, I thank you, I bless you, I understand. And just meet ourselves with that love this part of ourselves that was previously resisting going to that next level, changing, can begin to relax for a moment. Yeah. And in that relaxation for a moment, it might seem like, but, but I'm not changing. No, in that relaxation, this can start to open. And then we can be with the fear 
and love ourselves through the fear and deal with the fear so that the resistance can melt and then we can start going to that next level. But when we start pushing that, that part of us that's afraid, ego fights back and ego <laughs> wants to fight. And so I think just understanding the mechanism of what ego is and what ego isn't can really transform our relationship to ourselves and we can keep expanding to the next level. Yeah, once again, another very incredible um, interpretation of ego. I mean, that's uh, you're absolutely right. And, and, and uh, strangely enough, it feels like you're speaking directly to me because I've had I've just come to the end of a battle with my ego over something very very important in my life, and oh. I came to the conclusion that that was what was holding me back, and I kind of had like a, a meeting with myself. Nice, nice, and, yeah. And uh, I had a I had a talk with myself, and uh, yeah, I, I got got where I wanted to go. So um, yeah, that's quite amazing. Feels like you were sent to say those words <laughs> <laughs> in a, in, a, in a strange kind of way. Um, so in the cases of a lot of people, they hear about their purpose. They, they, sure. they think they want this. They think they want that. They, they have feelings about <clears> it. They feel drawn towards things. But very often people don't feel they discover their purpose. How, how do you feel people can discover their purpose? How can they be sure it's their purpose and that they're moving in the right direction? Yeah, I would say stop trying to find your purpose. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> stop trying to find your purpose. In fact, perhaps it's the constant seeking of your purpose that might be taking you away from finding your purpose. Because just we were talking about the ego. The ego's job is to seek and seek and seek and seek because seeking keeps it in existence. Mm. To seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and never find. So many times the ego just wants to keep seeking its purpose. Read another book, seeking, 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 seeking. It doesn't want to freaking find its purpose because when it finds its purpose, now what? You know, there's no more excuse. <laughs> now, now, now what? The seeking ends, right? And so finding is terrifying for ego. And so I'm saying, stop seeking your purpose. Let me take it from a spiritual level, then I'm going to bring it very practically for a second. I mentioned a moment ago, we are spiritual, we are spiritual, we are souls. We incarnate into this human experience in order to learn, to grow, to evolve. Every experience and every relationship is part of the university for our soul's evolution. Mm. On some level, then, the purpose for your incarnation into this human experience is your evolution. If that's the case, if you're a soul and you're here to evolve, if that's the case, then every moment of your life is your very purpose. There's never a moment that on a spiritual level that is not your purpose. Every moment is your purpose. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do or who you're in relationship with or who you're not in relationship with. So long as you are learning the lesson for why you're there, so long as you are growing and evolving, then you are living the purpose for your life. There's never a moment that is not your purpose. Yeah. You could be working in Tesco. You could be working in Sainsbury's. You could be working in Ralph's. You could be a street sweeper. You could be, you know, making a billion dollars on Wall Street. If you're not learning your purpose, learning the lessons, you're not necessarily living your purpose. So is, purpose is not a function of what you do. It's a function of who you're being and, and, and the level of evolution that's happening in each moment. So every moment is the opportunity to live your purpose. You could always be living your purpose no matter what. That's one shift. If you make that shift, then every moment takes on a different, you start seeing life through a different lens. That's mm -hmm. one. 
on a now let's break it down on a bit of bit of a human level for a second okay but i want to find like what i'm here to do well you know my purpose on a daily level on a human personality level cool i'm still going to say stop seeking your purpose same answer <laughs> so now i'll break it down in a different way uh what i would then say is instead of trying to find your purpose because many times we're trying to find our purpose from the level of the ego what mm. what should my but, but the ego is conditioned so whatever level whatever purpose we manufacture from the level of the mind is still going to be a very limited perspective of what we're truly here to unfold and do and so what i would say is instead of trying to figure it out and write it on a poster board a nice little purpose and a printed piece of paper right purpose yeah. is evolutionary because as you evolve in consciousness as you heal transform mature your purpose is going to shift i don't don't know about you bro but like my purpose at 412 is different than my purpose of 15 different <laughs> than my purpose of 18 you know different than my purpose of 22 and and onwards and so purpose is evolutionary so mm. first number 1 go in the direction of what turns you on what lights you up and what makes you come most alive you don't have to know where you're going in order to get to exactly where you need to be You don't but there's something an intelligence inside of you your soul that knows it knows so if you go in the direction of what lights you up go in the direction of what turns you on go in the direction of what makes you come most alive what would you do for free go in that direction take a step that's not enough but take a step in that direction rather than going in a direction you hate which most of us do go in the direction of what like brings you most alive so as an example my father's a minister we live behind my father's church we didn't have a lot of money right i would sneak into my father's church in the middle of the night at age imagine in peckham south peckham peckham rye should be in the middle of the night peckham man <laughs> in those days man a few years back it was not the safest place so no. i sneak into my father's church in the middle of the night luckily we live right behind it and with the lights off as a 12 13 year old kid i would speak to the empty chair i would give seminars for 2 3 hours a night to the empty chairs oh, wow. imagining thousands of people this was from age 12 to 18 6 years every night i was giving seminars with no one around imagining people being transformed so in a sense i was living my purpose for free i was i, I was living my purpose so that's what i would do for free you know it was my love and so find out what you love go in that direction now is that enough no i love formula 1 racing But as we said, I'm not going to be be uh Lewis Hamilton because these guys have been doing it since they were 2 years old. I mm-hmm. haven't been, right? And so then you have to look at question number 2. What specific tangible skills do I have? This is also important. I believe that everything that you have been through, every heartbreak, every success, every failure, every bankruptcy, every up and down every job that you hated that you didn't understand why you were doing that was actually your preparation mm. and this is why i say don't think ah this is not my purpose i'm going to i'm not going to give my 100% no there's a reason that you're doing the job that you're doing now even if it's not the job that you want to be doing so learn what you need to learn where you are because there's likely a skill set in that experience in that job in that situation that you're going to need that if you don't apply and commit yourself to learn that you won't be ready when your time comes yeah and so everything we've been through is part of your preparation 
look at the tangible skills that you have. Many times we don't acknowledge the skills that we have because we think it's not that important because you need a level of skill. Number three, as an example, okay, uh, when I first came to the US, I was promoting seminars. I went to promote seminars a year or two after I was here for people like Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, you know, some of these motivational guys. I didn't want to be a seminar promoter, so to speak, but I learned how to promote seminars. I learned how to sell. I learned how to go in to a, a, a sales meeting of a car company, you know, a car dealership, not the most enlightened environment, and sell seminars. That, that was a skill set that I was able to learn. And so what skills do you have? Number three, don't simply focus on asking yourself how you can make money. Instead, look at what tangible skills do you have, but look at what problems you are uniquely able, uniquely able and gifted at solving. Your ability to make money is in direct proportion with the degree to which you serve. So ask yourself, number three, how can I be of greater service? Mm -hmm. By looking at what problems you are uniquely gifted and able to solve. Because... When you're able to solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge, that is valuable. When you solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge, you add value by solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge. Money is just the currency transference of, the, of when you solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge. And so when you're looking at your purpose, ask yourself, how can I be of service by solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge? Look at Elon Musk. Mm. Elon Musk, like him or hate him, He's solving people's, he's solving a pain and problem or challenge. Mm. That is value. When you create value, money will follow. Love him or hate him, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Mm. I don't know about you, but I just used Amazon Prime a few hours ago to order right. some stuff. It's value creation. And so many times we're not thinking of how can I add value by solving a pain, problem or challenge and how that connects to my purpose. Lastly, I would say, look at the group of people that you feel a connection to, you feel an affinity to. Maybe for some reason you feel a connection to the blind people. You feel a connection to teenage pregnant mothers. You feel a connection to teenage kids. You know, you feel a connection to the elderly. Whatever you feel a connection to the whales. You like whatever group of souls that you feel a connection to is likely for a reason that might point you in the direction of the souls that you are here to serve. And mm -hmm. I think if you're able to ask yourself kind of these four questions uh, and reflect on that, that will move you from the spiritual to the more tangible and the practical and the human level of the expression of your purpose in this physical dimension. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> awesome. Um, I think, you know, just the last question, and I think it comes full circle. We discussed at the beginning the word fear any idea of fear and we spoke about how you can achieve greatness you're already great how do you find your purpose you stop looking for it um as you move towards these two things as you're in alignment with these two things you start to lose people in your life because you're gravitating away from them you, your reputation changes you're, yeah. you might lose money you might lose things and that creates fear last question how do people move away from that fear? How do people deal with that fear? How do people sit in that fear? How do people use that fear? It, 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 to stop trying to get rid of the fear, mm. right? Uh, if you don't feel some fear, you're probably playing too small. Mm. 
if you don't feel some fear, you're probably living too comfortably. Because when you think of going to the toilet in your house, you don't have any fear, right? When you think of turning on Netflix in your house or going to open your fridge, there's no fear because there's no growth there. And so when you're truly expanding, there will likely be some fear because you're going somewhere into the unknown that you've never gone before. Fear is actually excitement without breath many times. And so when you feel some fear, breathe. Breathe, connect to your body. And instead of focusing on the entire overwhelming actions that you have to take in the future and going into a negative future fantasy, Breathe and bring yourself back to the moment and ask yourself, what is the next action step I can take right now? What is the next action step I can take right now? So the goal isn't to get rid of fear, it's to breathe through it, it's to expand in it, it's to embrace it, it's to celebrate it because without expansion, there is no growth. Without growth, you're not going to feel any fear because you're not going to be pushing up against the sort of edges of your comfort zone. And so embrace fear. And to me, take the step anyway. When I spoke to my father, I had the conversation with my father about not taking over his church, I was terrified. But if I let my fear stop me, I would not, I wouldn't be here. And so don't let your fear stop you. Acknowledge it, thank it, bless it. Because many times fear is a signal of something you need to pay attention to. Mm. Maybe it's just a part of you that's needing some reassurance, a part of you that's needing a check-in, a part of you that's needing some loving. Right. And so if you're willing to pay attention to the fear, obviously make sure you're you're not being chased by a tiger, literally. <laughs> but but, but, but yeah. pay attention to the fear and acknowledge it. Then yeah. the fear will often just subside and you develop courage. Every time you step through a scary moment, you develop courage. And that's how we expand. Yeah. You make it sound like fear is an energy, a necessary energy. Yes. Yeah, that that's um that's beautiful. Coop, thank you so much. Um, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. I've, uh, I've learned a heck of a lot. Um, I just want to give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find you and, and what projects cool. you've got going on. Yeah, just uh, the book, the, my new book, The Magic of Surrender. People can get it on Amazon. I go a lot into surrender and, and really how to let go, find the courage to let go of what's no longer aligned. Uh, so check it out on Amazon. Um, what else? My website. Coop Blackson, K-U-T-E, Blackson, B-L-A-C-K-S, on coopblackson.com. For those that might feel inspired to go to the next level of their lives, twice a year I do an event in Bali, uh, 12 days, we deep dive, transform. It's uh, www.boundlessblissbali.com. And then uh, Instagram and Facebook, Coop Blackson. I'll stick all of that in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much. Um, And I hope you have a wonderful day. I don't know what time it is there, but it's uh, it's late here today. So (laughs) thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. So that's all from me for this episode. Thanks again to my podcast producer, Charlie from Chatter Podcast. And I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Self-Development Podcast.